You're listening to another episode of A Lady and Some Dudes Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of A Lady and Some Dudes. We are going to jump right into the show and start with our grateful moment. Evan, what are you grateful for this week? I'm grateful this week because um, we were able to, this week had our first digital service at our church, and that went very well. We had a good quality, uh, good production time, and so I think it's something we're really going to look into the future, but you know, we're still managing those COVID-19, and we've been willing to adjust and adapt uh, as these present themselves. Very nice. Kelvin, what are you grateful for? Hey, what's going on, everybody? I am very grateful that I got a, got a chance to catch up with one of my high school buddies this week. Um, I haven't seen him in a very long time. I was worried about him. We went to get out, get something to eat. We hung out, and I realized that he's all good. So mm-hmm. I'm grateful just for good friendship. Very nice. Very nice. Philip, what are you grateful for? I'm grateful for my family, uh, especially my youngest one, who actually broke the word of life this weekend at church, and she did a great job. And I didn't have to write anything for her, but my wife did help her. Uh, so, but I was happy that she was able to present and do her thing. So, praise God for that. Very nice, Dr. Ty. What are you grateful for? I'm grateful for uh, God's protection. Uh, this morning, this Sunday morning, as I tried to go out and get a little kick. And uh, that we have, we were in a losing effort. We, I got two assists there, uh, Pastor Evan. But um, in the end, I got a little knock on my ankle, so I'm got some ice on my ankle. You know, got a little little, little uh, cartoon bump <laughs> on my shin. I'm just grateful for protection. You know, as we try to stay active, you know, I'm just grateful that I can I can walk and all as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And what I'm grateful for this week, um, I actually had a big presentation at work. Um, As our listeners know, I started a new job about six weeks ago, um, and it is very demanding. And they were like, hey, like, we know you're the new attorney, but you're an expert in this area. Why don't you present to our executive board? And I was like, "Um, that's a little different. And so I had that on Thursday. It went extremely well. And I'm just thanking God that he calmed my nerves. It was definitely nerve-wracking, so, but I'm grateful um, for success. Before we jump right into the show, I wanted to honor the life and legacy of Chadwick Boseman. Unfortunately, he passed away on Friday after a four-year battle with colon cancer. He is most famously known for his portrayal of King T'Challa in Black Panther. He also starred in movies like Jackie Robinson and The Five Bloods, which currently airs on Netflix. What he has done is inspire a whole generation. We were able to see ourselves on the big screen as the royalty that we are. He has inspired little boys to know that they too can become king. They too can be impactful in the future. And one of the things that I love most, his last post on Instagram um, before he passed away, he admonished us all to get out and make sure that we vote. I can't think of a better way to honor the life, the legacy, and the impact that um, Mr. Bozeman had on us all. And I'm praying for his family. We're praying for um, his loved ones. And we pray that he will rest in peace. 
So today we have a very special guest co-host with us, and we're very, very excited to have him. We have Dr. Ty Douglas. He is an associate professor in the Department of Educational Leadership and Policy Analysis at the University of Missouri. Drawing on his international background, Dr. Douglas's research explores the intersections between identity, community space, and the social and cultural foundations of leadership and education. Specifically, his research interests include Black masculinity, Black family, African diaspora studies, critical spirituality, and community-based pedagogical spaces. He earned his PhD in educational studies slash curriculum and teaching with a concentration in cultural studies and a postmaster certificate in school administration from the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. A master's of arts from the University of Alabama in Huntsville, a BA from Oakwood University, and an associate's degree from Bermuda College. Dr. Ty, we are so happy to have you. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Honored to be on. Wonderful. So this week's episode, we are going to talk about the NBA protests of this week. As most of you are aware, the Bucks and the Magic, they were scheduled to play on Wednesday afternoon. However, the Bucks made a decision um, that they were going to protest the shooting of Jacob Blake. Jacob Blake, unfortunately, was shot almost execution style seven times in the back. We are thankful for his life. He was able to survive. Unfortunately, he is paralyzed. In response to that, the Bucks protested. Orlando walked off the court. Um, and what followed were the games that were scheduled for Wednesday as well as Thursday. Um, they were all suspended as the other players players decided um, to protest. So Dr. Tai, you have a lot of experience with student athletes and taking stances um, similar to this. And so we would like your perspective um, on what do you think the impact of that protest was for the NBA socially? Um, and do you think that it would have far-reaching implications going forward? Sure. Well, first, uh, thank you for having me. Great to be on with this amazing group of, of scholars and leaders. Um, you know, I actually have a, an, an op-ed that's going to uh, come out this week called The Box, the Box Stops Here, But It Didn't Start Here, uh, an open ladder to those who claim to love and lead Black athletes. And uh, it's actually grounded in, in your question, you know, of uh, reflecting on not just the the uh, implications or um, the reality of the protests, but also, you know, a, a larger historical context of protests. You know, one of these I, I, I like to share is that, you know, even before Colin Kaepernick took a knee, you know, our Mizzou student athletes stood. And so uh, what we saw from the box, I think was an important uh, stand to draw attention to uh, yet another uh, uh, shooting um, at, at the hands of police. And um, I think it gave them uh, a time or time to reflect on the approach that they want to use going forward, um, having time just to just to pause. Um, you know, the, the power of sport, I believe, is in part um, that it serves as what I call homophily, right? So in communications, you talk about homophily, a common field of interest, and it allows people, it's like a lubricant 
that allowed society to go. That's why these brothers in Potter paid so much because it helps to uh, take people's uh, minds off of the issues of life and the divisions that exist. And so sometimes you need to remove that lubricant and really reflect on the ugliness of what exists. And so I believe their stand was important in that regard. Well, but however, I do not think um, obviously it ends there. Um, I think um, the pause, uh, the, the coming together, the strategizing, the communication with, with ownership, leaders, coaches, being intentional about, you know, asking what do we do from here is now, I believe, what's at their feet. Um, and in addition, you asked about the implications. I think the power of the implications is, is ongoing. And I believe we will see it um, not just in the, in the professional sport lane, but also in collegiate athletics where uh, you know that there are a number of college uh, athletes who also on Friday, for example, uh, chose to, to pause and, and not practice. Um, you know, our, our student athletes, our football team did that. Others across the country did as well. But again, um, you know, more than just rhetoric and, you know, just sort of the, the optics of, of pausing for a second, um, there has to be a desire and a willingness to really look at not just the fruit, but the root of the problem and understanding, you know, hist- uh, uh, you know systematic oppression, understanding white supremacy, understanding um, the, 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 the realities that undergird or serve as the, the underbelly of what we've seen. So uh, I believe that what took place last week was an important step. Uh, I know many of the, the pundits on you know, ESPN and other places are divided as it relates to whether they should have continued to protest or not. Uh, some believe that they give up their platform by not playing. Um, others believe that you know, um, by playing, they continue to have their platform and have access to resources to help their community. I think that's a, a nuanced conversation. I think there, is, there are benefits on both sides. But ultimately, I believe when you grab people's attention and you have their attention, now is the time to also use that power uh, for systematic and systemic change, and not just for a moment, but for a larger movement. Absolutely, really strong perspectives, um, and and I agree. I feel like action is usually the thing because sometimes we say, you know, we're going to protest or you know we're not going to um, purchase from certain establishments, and then it ends in that moment, if that makes sense. And there's nothing beyond that. There's no follow up um, beyond that. Um, and I'm curious to hear um, what the guys think about about that. So what I would say, uh, just building upon the profound statement that Dr. Doug, Dr. Ty made, uh, was I think it, 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 he said something powerful about sports. Sports is a place in which we go in which we can escape the realities of what we see, right? And so even as we were talking about the Colin Kaepernick issue, uh, I listen to Philly Sports Talk Radio a lot. And one of the things that people on the sports radio are saying, which, I mean, pretty much all of the hosts are, 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 are of European descent, um, all of them were saying, you know, I just want to focus on sports. I want to escape. But I think the reality is with sports, it's allowed to become a space where we escape when the realities of race and racism are still structurally being imposed, just looking at the ownership structure, looking at the role of athletes, looking at the narratives about um, black, black quarterbacks can't be quarterbacks that can't think, or uh, black basketball players really don't know how to play basketball, they play street ball. And so it's there, but it's just being accepted. And what these athletes are doing, I think, was great because it lets people realize that, that athletes are people too. I think one of the profound things, this, 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 2020 has been a tragic year, right? And so with the death of Kobe, for a moment, it, it made people realize that these athletes are people, 
because sometimes the way media portrays them, they seem superhuman. They seem unaffected. But the fact that, that the Bucks players, and, and with the issues happening in uh, not Milwaukee, but in uh, Wisconsin, decided to do something, it lets us see, oh, they're like us too. Oh, they're one of us. Um, and not everyone is really only concerned about the, the dollar, but they are deeply affected by the social injustice in our society. And, and also uh, something else doc, uh, Dr. Tai alluded to when he talked about, you know, people are oftentimes critical of what is appropriate or inappropriate, you know, whether you are being a, a sellout by still playing or whether you're you're really being woke by not playing. I think uh, one thing I wanted to talk about before even this whole thing happened was that was Kyrie Irving correct? Because Kyrie Irving's stance was we should not uh, be distracting people from the real issues going on. But the reality is we're seeing the power of the platform and the agency these athletes have that, that it doesn't matter um, if they are playing or not, they can still affect change and bring awareness. And so uh, I want to applaud the players. But one critique I think I would give, and it's not really a critique because they did something. Uh, one question, one thing I, I better, better not say critique. One thing I would like to see is a demand like a verbal, measurable demand, such as the, the, that, that the owners put pressure on the state of Kentucky to arrest and charge the killers of Breonna Taylor. And that's the only thing I would like to see, just something actionable so we can walk away and say, hey, something got accomplished. But I do think the room still, there's still room ahead for them to make changes. I think you, you bring up a really important point about Kyrie Irving um just because I remember when um the NBA was still in the phase of working out you know the bubble and what that will look like he received so much backlash for his position not only did he receive backlash he was demonized and he, I'm not talking about being demonized by the white community he was demonized by us I sat on Facebook um, I watched shows where people were saying we need to check his mental health. I mean, and so now we come full circle, right? And we have this protest, and at least for a moment, even though the protest was short-lived, at least for a moment, we thought this may be some permanency with respect to this protest. And now the tone and the tenor was so different, so welcoming of it. Um, it, it, it was a bit troubling to me um, to see because I remember the island that Kyrie was placed on, even by some athletes in the league. So that's, that's really interesting. And I'm really glad that, that you brought that dichotomy up as well. Um, Kelvin, any thoughts on this? Yeah, um, I guess I, my thoughts are, I, I'm looking at it from... Um, just, you know, the viewpoint of what the teams did, uh, what they accomplished and what they might not have accomplished. Um, just, just off the bat, I think that Milwaukee, um, they did, they did something that was, uh, important to them, meaning that the reason why they boycotted was a, you know, it was a unilateral decision on their part, um, because they were so connected to the incident being from Wisconsin, um, Kenosha is about 40 miles away from, uh, Milwaukee. So they decided to protest the game, boycott the game. And because of the boycott, the decision they made, 
it was a rippling effect to everybody else. Um, and I think when you when you look at boycotts, protests, and things of that nature throughout history, um, they become ineffective when they're not ineffective when they're not organized. And I feel as though this is more of an incidental uh, situation, and the league wasn't prepared for it. So because Milwaukee did what they did, uh, the rippling effect, the other teams that were supposed to play that night, they say, okay, we can't stand, uh, we we can't stand outside of what Milwaukee's doing, so we got to protest too. So we have to stop the games. And because of that, you know, I'm kind of torn uh, whether, you know, this was effective or not. And I don't think it was effective as it, as it could have been. And so I guess I have a problem there with the NBA because um, we have players now, I mean, from the outside looking in, it's like, okay, what did you guys do? What did you guys accomplish? And then everything that we hear is they were torn um, far as players was concerned, and they were kind of pointing fingers at Milwaukee for not giving a heads up to the rest of the league of what was going on. Uh, so now, you know, you look at it like you guys really are selfish. You guys really more concerned about your money uh, than than uh, than anything else. So you guys really not really willing to sacrifice um, what's necessary to really make change. So it was just a. Um, it was definitely just a, a situation right now where I'm kind of torn. I don't, I don't know how I truly feel. I don't think it was, uh, it was, it was, it definitely was. It's not that I don't think. I know it wasn't organized and I know it wasn't planned. And as a result, it seems kind of ineffective to me. Well, I understand that. I think despite it wasn't, it was only the Milwaukee Bucks that took this initiative. The ripple effect is, is astonished because look, think of it. Because of what they've done, the NBA stopped. Then followed by who? The WNBA. And then Major League Baseball teams. Then the Major League Soccer teams. And then we had a tennis star. And so despite it wasn't organized the way we, we, we wanted it to be or how we would like it to be, like the bus was with Rosa Park, I still think it was necessary because enough is enough. And, and I was thinking, I was contemplating, and we had a conversation, Evan and I, what more you want more i said listen why evan and i was talk, talking about why should they have gone back the the even showing them that they could be unified and make a decision they held them they held nba they held everyone right now as they progress to the next round of the playoff that's more money don't even let it come into the finals because that's where the bulk of the money comes in and if they decide we don't want to play the finals, because now, remember, now the games are on cable. When the finals are on the regular TV, advertisers, that means more audience. So, yes, Kyrie, I didn't, what Kyrie's, like we stated, Kyrie's decision not to play, I think would have been ineffective as they're playing right now. Because now everyone, remember, basketball was the only sport on for U.S., Literally, other than shuffleboard and these other sports, but you know they were on. So every time they had a, a platform, and I guess when they were making that loud cry, they felt that it wasn't heard because what happened to um, Mr. Blake, right? Jacob Blake, kind of was the cream of the uh, crop. And Dr. Ty could talk about the Missouri incidents that occurred in 2010, and things trickle on, on until 2015 when enough isn't enough. And I think the same thing here, of course, is 400 years. And, and to this point, when you have economic shareholders of the economy as LeBron does, because LeBron is, himself, is an economy himself and the NBA players, that's when you can really make change. So 
I am happy that they were able to come back. Now the demands, they did get something. They got voting. Every NBA team, um, Coliseum, where they play, will be a voting registration. What's the biggest issue? One of the biggest issues of voting now, mailing votes, right? Now at the NBA 9, they're going to have everything set where people, which is larger, we could hold more capacity, more entrance. People could go in, go out, um, providing people could travel to these voter registration. That will help resolve that help resolve or contribute to the um, resolution for that. So it's unprecedented how it started, but I think what they have now, they understand these players are not playing no more and they do have, they do have power. And the question is, hopefully we don't dissuade them that they do have power. They always had power. So that's, that's my insight on that. Yeah, I think I think we raised um, important parts of the conversation. Uh, I have a colleague, Dr. Sidney Freeman, and he posted something recently where he talked about um, the reality that in these freedom efforts, in this liberation movement, there are uh, different worlds. You know what I'm saying? You have folks who may be aligned with the the the, the Malcolm. You know what I'm saying? The Malcolm world, the Martin world. Um, you know, some who are calling for sovereignty, others who are calling for integration uh, to to claim the resources that they've already invested into a particular system and so i, I think there there is a both and i think there is a a messiness to um some of this work it, it's not always as neat and tidy and you know we have you know this laid out sort of you know step-by-step -step plan i think the bucks uh, responded in the moment um you know to probably something that really wasn't maybe even their intention initially but i think to bring a pause um, you know, to even demonstrate that they're willing to use that power. Um, the, 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 the reality is that now going forward at any time, they can pull that trigger at any time they can say, listen, all right. And, and so I think there's time now to strategize and think about what does a holistic plan look like going forward. In addition to that, like I said, I think when you have some of the most powerful athletes in the world willing to use their power in that regard, it speaks to not just as others have mentioned, the other leagues that have done it, but also you know, that college athletic landscape, right? That, that, that space where these young brothers look up to LeBrons and, uh, and the Antetokounmpo's and the, you know what I'm saying? Like they, they, they may say like, okay, now how do I do that in my space? Um, you know, how do I do that at the high school level as to decide in what college I'm gonna go to? Maybe it's time that I take my talents to HBCUs, right? And begin to think critically about like the labor force and the larger structures and, and, and economic power that we have uh, and thinking about how we can more strategically have control over how our bodies and our, our resources are funneled. So uh, to that end, you know, I mean, we think about the Montgomery bus boycott and other spaces. I mean, there, there was messiness, you know what I'm saying? When they walk across the Edmund Pettus Bridge, they didn't know exactly how it was always gonna play out. And so even seeing uprisings in some of the spaces that I've been a part of, even on our own campus and the like that I've seen and been you know, connected to, um, you know, it's, it, it, there, there isn't always a clear blueprint there is an organic nature to it. And so I'm grateful that they had the courage to utilize their power. I love what you said though, Dr. Evan, um, that you know, the, 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 the demands for clear expectations of what, like, like okay, this is what we want. This is, this is a benchmark. These are clear things that we desire to see happen before we play again. So you know, the, sometimes you have to you know, give them a time limit. I mean, I think about Andrews University and their it is time movement. Like you have these many days or, you know what I'm saying? Like there are, sometimes you have to make those clear demands, but I think initially, just that initial jab that said, hey, listen, we know our power. We've been dabbling with it for a while. Other institutions and other teams have shown us it can work. We're willing to use it. If you're not serious about addressing now these demands, we will use it again. And I think that's um, you know a, a place where uh, the strategy can come in for for longer um, strategic you know moves and opportunities for for transformation. 
I wanted to follow up on what Evan said, where they have to be specific. And, and I'm thinking in my corporate mind when I think about this, because for each fiscal year, we make what we call SMART goals, right? They're specific, they're measurable, they're attainable, they're relevant, and they're time-bound. And I kind of feel like that's not limited to the corporate space. I think when you're making a demand of any sort, especially in a protest like this, Evan, I agree completely. Like, you need to lay out guidelines, you need to start putting parameters around the guidelines, and you need to start putting deadlines, um, you know, as, as to when we can attain that. And Philip mentioned that um, the NBA, they are using their facilities, you know, in every city as voting centers. And that is amazing because I think one of the initiatives LeBron had was to kind of alleviate this disenfranchisement of Black voters. And I think that helps significantly when you have a president who is trying to stop mail from coming through. Like, I mean, that's so problematic on a deeper level. Um, but I guess my question, um, Dr. Tai, do you think this would have had a bigger impact if this protest was longer, longer than 24 hours? Um, do you think more demands could have been met um, addressing issues of social justice within our communities in a more tangible way if it was prolonged? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's, there's always, um, when you think about strategic initiatives, there's probably always more that one could do with, with time, you know. Um, the irony of, the, of this particular um, timing of their uprising and their, their, their boycott is that they have been in a bubble, right? Um, and, you know, that language is also consistent with the bubbles that our collegiate athletes are on when they're on our campuses, right? They are oftentimes not connected to you know, black and brown faculty, um, they're not connected to the community. And so um, there is an isolation that I believe can happen that, that limits at times their capacity to one, fully get um, the resources that they need to be whole. But in addition to that, um, I think for them to now have paused and to sort of taken some of the power back, I believe that there are people now that they can tap into and they are tapping into to be able to have those underground networks, to be able to have those conversations, to be able to get counsel um, from individuals who are trained in this area. Let's, let's, let's not forget, you know, these guys are, they're trained to, you know, shoot a jumper. Um, and while they are learning about these issues, many of them have not critically studied these issues. Where, I mean, they're placed in a position where they have a platform, but they may not necessarily be the individuals who have the strategy. And so uh, I appreciate the time that it takes to navigate the nuances, to connect with the right resources. And yeah, sure, maybe more time would have helped, um, but it's, it's, this is a marathon and not a, and not a sprint. And so I believe taking the time now to say, okay, we've used this power to initially sort of let the system know we're willing to make some changes. We're willing to use our power to make some changes. But now let's think about strategically, who are the people that need to be at the table? Uh, what does it look like to connect? Like who are the people in the different league teams, uh, league offices, uh, across the teams, outside of, of the NBA? And you know what I'm saying? So th those are the bridges that need to be made um, that a lot of times those infra that infrastructure does not exist typically uh, towards something like this. And so th those pieces are being put in place, I believe, even now. And I think we can see even stronger uh, efforts going forward now that we've seen the willingness to initiate and use their power through a boycott. And I think something, it, it's kind of come to my mind now thinking about this 
boycott and you know what 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 Dr. Tai is alluding to uh, Dr. Tai's research excuse me is one when you think about LeBron James right when you think about LeBron James the narrative that has been placed around him is one in which LeBron James kind of is the American dream. You come from nothing, you build yourself up, you go all this length and you get all this wealth. And really, I think there's another narrative that should be told about the LeBron James story. It's the fact that LeBron James defied the system. And what I mean by that is, the, the, the idea is get a, get a degree, get education. LeBron right now is producing movies. LeBron right now is buying businesses. LeBron right now is doing all these things. And he didn't have to go through the ivory tower of education. And it got, kind of goes to show that community education is probably a lot more important than going to the college or going to the institution because his skill set allowed him to utilize his mind to do better for himself. And I think it raised the question. Uh, what should the non-informal educational institutions in our communities, the barbershops, the churches, um, um, the neighborhoods, the, the basketball courts in the neighborhood, the coaches, what should we be doing with our black athletes so that when they get to the place, because guess what, racism isn't going away. So that when they get to these places that they are equipped to address these things in a way that for Kelvin and I can can see meaningful change, structural change, because the reality is the most important thing in professional sports is not the stadium, it's not the owners, it's not the, the sponsor, it is the athlete. But the athlete is made to think this is your job. And the reality is this thing really centers all around them and they have more agency and power than what the industries around them are trying to give them. I mean, I really like our conversation, right? But. I I just feel like we're giving the NBA way too much credit. I mean, they're typically the forerunner for all this. You know, we talk about response to racism, how to conduct themselves in a bubble and all these things. But reality is um, this thing is just morphing as, as we go along. And it's kind of it's kind of sad to me. I'm still not really ready to get, let them off the hook yet because I see that they still are not together and united um, with everything that's going on. Um, so you're talking about the, you're talking about the players or the I'm NBA the players. industry? I'm okay, I'm talking about the players' association. So when I, when you hear things like um, we having a meeting um, and then two teams storm off, um, two teams decide they're not going to play. The, the two probably biggest markets right now, the, the one biggest market probably L.A. But both teams in L.A. You know, you got the biggest stars in the world. You got A.D. You got LeBron. You have uh, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. These guys saying we're not going to play, right? Um, then all of a sudden, you know, somebody get in their air and they say, okay, we're going to start back tomorrow, you know. Um, and then you have LeBron, you know, supports, of course, LeBron's on the phone call with the, um, the G, a lot of the G, the GMs, not the owners, not the GMs, talking about how he's not happy in, in the list of his own demands. So we got to a point where we talked about Steve and they had uh, isolated LeBron and saying he's, he's making himself bigger than the league. So all that just suggested to me that um, – we really have to, they really have to get their act together to do something meaningful. Um, and, it's, and, it's, and, it's, and it's vitally important for them right now to understand the moment and to be unified together because people have rightfully questioned this whole protest for me. And what you guys are saying are, are all correct. I'm not disputing it. 
but you guys are, are looking at this as if um, we have some type of momentum and some type of unified push. And I don't, I didn't see that yet. We talked about a list of demands. That was something that they've been talking about already. So you talk about, okay, we're going to open up the, uh, the um, arenas around the, around the country. Okay. Uh, okay. You know, but you know, what's really going on. And I, and I feel like unless it's unified, it's clear, um, then I'm not really going to give them a pat on the back for what's going on. I'm still kind of disgusted. Kelvin, I actually, um, I've struggled with that too, because I think when the Bucks did it, and that was all the information we had, a part of me thought this was like some unspoken, like united front. Like obviously the Bucks were playing at that time on that day. And my thought process was like, man, these players knew about it. We just didn't know about it. This is going to be something great. And as you mentioned, as more information came out, I mean, LeBron wasn't too thrilled um, that the Bucks did that. You know, he said that he felt that they put everyone in a bad position. That kind of left a bad taste in my mouth because I don't know – how protesting and people have to understand these basketball players are humans they hurt they have feelings i have been heavy all week trying to process jacob blake like i have gone through a range of emotions and no i don't know him but his struggle is my struggle and so as black athletes black men they i'm sure a lot of them have the same struggle and when lebron made those statements where he, you know, where he felt like the Bucks put them in a bad spot, then he very greatly, while a lot of the players from LA wanted to kind of cancel the rest of the season, he was like, no. And I always applaud, applaud LeBron for the stuff he does off the court. He is active in his community. He has done things that other athletes with his platform have not done. But this seems to me like LeBron is like, look, I'm a protest as long as it's comfortable for me, but let me keep playing so I could go three and seven in the finals. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I feel like for him, the end goal is we need to continue playing, you know, so we can finish up this season. But yeah, I'll be vocal and stuff on Twitter, but deep down inside, like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I struggled a lot with how he presented behind the scenes. Obviously in the forefront, he's tweeting, he, you know, he's all for the protests and, and, you know, forget the system. And, you know, he was very vocal, but then privately it didn't coincide. And I mean, so if, <clears throat> if, if there's not a unity in thought, I, I feel like it kind of discounts some aspects um, of, of that. I was just saying to your point too, and I, don't, I know other people want to chime in. I mean, when you talk about just something as simple as uh, what's in the back of the jerseys, LeBron made a decision to purposely not put nothing in the back of the jersey because he didn't agree with what was going on with other people or what the NBA um, uh, uh, players' unions discussed, um, what they've discussed to be uh, deemed appropriate for the back of the jersey. He didn't like that, so he didn't do it. So, I mean, even with something small as that, it just tells me that. Um, we, we may have a bigger problem where the athletes are not unified. Therefore, 
the message will never be unified. So I'm just, I guess I'm hopeful at the end of the day that they can get it together because what's going on is now it doesn't look right if you look at it, because like you said, the Bucks made a unilateral decision to, to cancel last minute uh, because of the situation. They didn't let anybody else know. Uh, and the result, the trickling effect was everybody said, okay, we have to protest because it's going, it may look, make our other organizations look bad. Um, so that's not, that's not nothing strategic for me. So I guess I'm just hopeful that, that we go, we all get on the same page now. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of politics involved and there's a lot of conversations that we're not privy to that, you know, um, that are connected also to the different identities and stature of, of the different players. You know what I mean? Um, you know, when I think about even in a higher air context where you have faculty members, for example, who have tenure versus faculty members who don't like folks, you know, people lose their jobs over this stuff. Um, and when we think about even the history of these, you know, the civil rights movement and the like, people lose their lives over this stuff. Like this is not small. Um, and so there's a lot that happens behind the scenes. I, I actually don't have super duper high expectations for this unified sort of, um, you know, uh, just united front. I'm, I'm not sure that, that that's going to happen. Um, and that's why when I, when I spoke to, I feel like the ripple effect of, you know, what it could mean even for college athletics and, you know, shifting pathways of the next generation coming through who have not just the access to Twitter, but, you know, there, I mean, you got kids who are choosing to go to Howard and other places, right? So uh, I, I like to go back to something that uh, Evan shared that I think is vital. And that is, and that's something I also appreciate about Kirby. You know, if you think about the athletes who have Kirby, LeBron, uh, if you think about these guys, I mean, these, these guys, they, they did buck the system by not going through the college pathway. And, um, and I think that there's probably even some things that they learned um, by not going that path that maybe even have allowed them to um, be the entrepreneurs or to be the entrepreneurs that Kirby was and, and LeBron is. And, and I think that's something that's connected to why this moment matters. Um, because there's a, there's a larger narrative that suggests that, you know, if it's not in this space, if it's not a traditional degree, then you're not educated. And that's not true. If it's not in a schoolhouse, then it's not legit. And that's not true. We know that some of the pop, most powerful spaces are for the black community in our barbershops, in our neighborhoods, in our churches, in our faith-based spaces. Uh, and, and recognizing the power of that, the power of the athlete, you know, for someone as my, like myself who teaches teachers and principals as well, you know, I realize that athletes are some of the most underutilized teachers in our communities. Um, but many of them are also navigating trying to get that first check or trying to get that, you know what I'm saying, get that fresh chip, right? And so, you know, it's, it's, it's everybody's positionality impacts their willingness to risk this or that. If I'm, you know, if it's a 12-man squad and I'm number 11, I may not speak, well, I'm, I'm not saying me, but they may not, a person may not speak up uh, about these issues because they may get cut. Like these things really do happen. And so I'm not necessarily expecting this unified front. I think the beauty of our, this current iteration of the social justice movement is that there isn't this one figurehead and that people are contextualizing what it means to be liberated from their minds and to reimagine what it looks like when they take their talents to wherever they want to take their talents. And I think that's probably the most powerful takeaway. You know, these, this iteration of NBA players, they may just be the ones who showed that you can pull that trigger. But there's another generation of young people who may come through who are now going to make different decisions that could literally shift the very landscape of collegiate sports forever. And, and I definitely agree with you on that forefront. And, and, and just to add, it's new. We, we've never seen a group of athletes come together and, and, and ripple effects. Usually, remember Muhammad Ali, he was by himself. Uh, Kareem, uh, Kareem 
Kareem, he, you know, several athletes came together. Jen Brown came together, but not sports, a sports team. So this is new. So we have to give them, of course, in a perfect world, it would be organized. It would go through. But this is still new. It's organic. And, and to have the lens uh, pointed to them and they're trying to figure out. And I agree with you said, Dr. Ty, that some of them haven't gotten the courage of thinking about, hey, I may not be able to do it up front. Remember Jordan? Jordan didn't know about the um, grant, right? He didn't know the forefront. He was trying to build his brand where he could come to the position he is right now. So what he did, he wrote, he wrote a check. It was unfamiliar for him. His, he said his, his main objective was just playing basketball. Now we have a group of younger generation who said it's not only what affect on the court, but outside the court. And then so they're learning this process. So we have to give them, you know, we have to give them a, a wink at ignorance uh, in a sense of not knowing the process. This is new to them. This is something that's just started and they're going through the process. So. And, and forgive me if I sound like our president um, when I say, <sighs> I don't know. Not, let me, let, me explain like, let me explain like this first. So the first, the way free agency came to baseball was a man named Kirk Flood, who was um, a player for the St. Louis Cardinals, who was traded to the Phillies. And he didn't go to Philly. He, he won the Super Bowl with his team. He felt like they owed him. But all they did back then, there's no free agency. They just kept paying him a million dollars each year, or a certain amount of money each year. You had no choice unless they decided to cut you. And so there's a book entitled The Well-Paid Slave, A Well-Paid Slave that talks about this. The, the reality is, in the book, they, they, as he decided he was going to fight against being traded and just choose not to play and take it all the way to the MLB and take it all the way to the Supreme Court, his lawyer said, you do know that the men in charge are going to dig up your past and tell the worst stories about you to demonize you. And the reality is there are snakes in the NBA and there are snakes that were in that room. I mean, I mean, think about it. As a pastor, when I run a board meeting, I don't tell people, say who said what in the minutes. We just have a vote, that's it. You're getting detailed accounts of who's saying what. And the reality is, even, even with uh, this whole Patrick Beverly situation where they said that he, he told her, I pay your salary, and someone else said he didn't say that, and I was right next to him the whole time, we don't really know what was really said or what's really been told. The, the, the NBA probably want to shut this down. I, I, and people sound like a conspiracy theorist. And why I say, I wonder how much fake news got out there of the NBA trying to muddy the waters to make the players look a lot more disorganized than maybe they were. Someone said LeBron said this. Someone said he said that. Someone said they, he got tense. Someone said he walked out. And so we really are just getting reports of people who were in the room. And we don't know if the NBA leaked information to muddy the water to get this thing wrapped up quickly. I, I definitely agree with that. And, and, you know, and I can't, especially when it's like rumors and then when it comes from Stephen A. Smith, <laughs> how much do I trust the things he say? Not very much. Um, so I, I do agree with that component. I think one of the things I would say in the NBA, they have the platforms, hands down, right? They have an opportunity to voice concerns on a level that we will not be able to do and most people will not be able to do because we don't have that influence. I think one of the things they need to do, though, is delegate, 
right? So you have the platform, surround yourself with people who is like literally in this fight to kind of inform you. And, um, you know, just continue to use your platform, but delegate, let experts do what you got to do to really push this socially. Because it seems like a lot of athletes, they're, they're emotional. Um, some of them are irrational at times, and I'm not talking about this particular platform. They're irrational at times, and I think you need to start streamlining that conversation um, in order for it to have like a bigger appeal or impact. Most athletes aren't Malcolm Jenkins, right? Who can speak with authority, who can speak with intelligence, who can like really push an agenda um, forward our agenda and, and it be articulate and it being easy to digest for us all. And so I think there are a lot of rugged parts and a lot of people don't like to hear that. It's like, just because you have the platform, it don't necessarily mean that you should be the one per se, like pushing the conversation forward. I, I hear what you're saying. My, my only concern, and I'm not saying this is what you're saying, but it feels like to me, if I was an athlete, I feel like you're telling me to shut up and dribble. Absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. Like that, absolutely not. Like I'm, I'm not saying that people shouldn't be able to, I feel like athletes, they have to speak. They have to voice their concerns. Like that raw emotion, um, you know, when you watch Jacob Blake and you had to come to play and um, two of the Bucks players said, the reason why they made the decision that they weren't going to play because of their personal interactions with law enforcement. To me, stories like that is extremely powerful and it, it moves the needle forward. So I, I'm not saying, hey, don't say anything, leave it to the, expert, the experts. I'm saying we need your platform. Now surround yourself right with with the people around you that can push that platform that platform forward like for instance i always say kevin durant he needs a ghostwriter on twitter some of these guys need ghostwriters maybe you need someone that can articulate this in in, in a manner that is palatable right so that's and, all i'm and saying I'm, and i'm afraid that that'll never happen uh because I should be more optimistic. I'm just keeping it real. We should call you Dodd and Peter. I'm looking at it all sides. I'm just saying, when you talk about athletes, when you talk about that level, and you talk about making it there, you're talking about a lot of egos. So you're talking about uh, being being divided just because I think uh, Umar Johnson is, 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 is a great leader. No, no, I, I think um, Eric Dyson is a good leader. I think this, you know what I'm saying? So now you got different rules of thoughts on leadership and who should lead and, and who we should follow. So, I mean, I guess when I was basically saying when I started this, I'm worried that the NBA can look hypocritical. And I'm worried that because if they become divided, then it can turn into a big mess just because it wasn't, it wasn't done organized in the first place. You know, it wasn't not even just organized. It wasn't it wasn't a, 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 an exact message or or something that we try we we wanted to come up with to accomplish to begin with. And because of that, it could end up real bad. And I'm thinking, you know, we got to look at those lens too. Um, and just because you know, when we think about the reports that come out, 
we all know that uh, it's probably not true, but it's some truth in the middle. Um, it's three sides, like everybody says. It's probably some truth in the middle. So we, so we, so we could all agree that LeBron James was a big part of this meeting. They did walk out. You know, nobody ever disputed that those teams, those two teams, walked out. So I guess I'm saying, you know, just, just, just to bring it back, um, got to be careful that that this doesn't look like a hypocritical effort, and that we know what we're doing and we have some type of um, leadership, whatever that looks like. So that if something does happen next week, um, okay, this is the plan of action involved. You know, it's not, okay, uh, we're not even going to boycott a full 24 hours. You know, it's not that. It's something that, like you said, maybe a list of demands, maybe, uh, you know, the, the, the season stops, whatever it is. But I, I would just like to see, um, you know, something that's a little bit more. You can fill in a blank. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. So as we kind of wrap this conversation up, and, and Kelvin, I think you kind of transitioned really smoothly. What are the next steps? Where do we, and when I say we, where do where does the NBA go from here? Where do athletes go from here? Um, what next? What next? Because as we mentioned, this is for an overarching goal of achieving social justice and equity across all platforms. So I'll start with Dr. Tai, and then you guys can chime in. What is next? Yeah, I heard um, Brian Stevenson, the lawyer um, there over the, uh, an author, um, share a statement that I think was um, really powerful. He said, you know, worse than chattel slavery the true evil was the narrative that the North won the war, but the South won the narrative war. And I think what's really powerful and that I think we need to consider is this is a moment where, where there's a shift in narratives that are, that that's emerging. Um, and when I when I say narratives, I'm talking about even, you know, not just, so, so, I mean, let's be clear. The NBA is not a social justice organization. They, they're a business that's trying to make money. Um, you know, they, they want to, they understand that their largest population of employees as race to the on core uh, product are black males. Uh, and so in critical race theory, we talk about something called interest convergence. So they do what they do in part because their interest is tied to these black men. Um, similarly for the WNBA and these black women or, you know, who, who are a major part of the league as well. Uh, and so I think, you know, if we understand that these organizations were not set up for the liberation of our people, then what we really want to be focusing on, I believe, is the shift in narrative that says black people are not just property. And that's a historical narrative. We're not property. You know what I'm saying? Like that's a historical narrative that undergrads the history of this country. And I think that shift has to take place, not just through the boycotts and the like, but also what comes about as a result of the boycott. So for example, I know that there are new positions that are emerging in the NBA uh, for diversity, uh, di uh, 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 VPs, for example, for diversity, equity, inclusion, et cetera. Like there are positions that are developing. Now, I've seen those positions develop in higher ed as well. And sometimes those positions um, are sort of, you know, those folks who keep the people, supposed to keep the people, you know, in, in uh, in place, right? You know, you know, and you know, to use the language of all this, you know, the the keep the plantation calm, right? And and so there are tensions there. But again, uh, I've never seen uh, oppressors willingly give up their power. Um, and I believe that um, there needs to be teaching that takes place in these spaces, so that the leaders understand that they can actually do the right thing for the for the right reason, and they can still win. There is, I, I don't, so I don't operate from the perspective that like. 
to do the right thing is to undermine the product. I think if you actually do right by people and their communities, that you can actually, we can all win. Now that's sort of conscious of capitalism and the selfishness of people. But I believe in order for those conversations to happen, you need the right people, people in the rooms to have those, um, those conversations with leadership, um, to have those conversations with, co with coaches, with administrators. And this season that we're in now of, of uprising, the conversations that are taking place across different perspectives, from Kyrie to LeBron to others, you know, we need all of those voices. But this generation of, of athletes may not be the ones that get us, quote unquote, to the promised land. But I believe what's happened is they are chipping away uh, and, and, and beginning to help us to see that it is possible. And they have sons and they have AAU teams and they have influence where there is a, a momentum that's building that is beyond just the immediate athlete. I want to say this last thing. We must not forget that these professional athletes, when they fall off the wagon and are no longer serviceable to these teams, they go into an abyss and sometimes depression and feeling like, what do I have to offer the world? Struggling in transition. You know, my work with professional athletes and collegiate athletes, I mean, these young men and young women struggle at times as it relates to identity and value and, and being included and wanting to belong. And so anything that can potentially make them less valued to the space where they feel like that's all they are, because that's a lot of times how they're trained as it relates to the collegiate space and in professional space. Those things are very scary for these young men and young women who don't feel they have a lot to offer off the court. And so again, these are part, this is a part of a larger conversation of education and narrative shifting, but also access where we can get people into the rooms with leaders who need to understand not just interest convergence, but why this stuff matters, not just the tip of the iceberg, but what undergirds it, not just the fruit, but the root of why the country is where it is and how they can be a part of solutions and still win. Yeah. And I, I want to build on what Dr. Ty said and, and not build on, I, I kind of want to, I want to put, I don't know how to put it, but I think we need more documentaries, right? More stories being told like LeBron is doing a great job right now telling having these documentaries that are showing the stories, showing the history, putting things in proper perspective. We need to build up our athletes so that they don't see themselves as basketball players, but see basketball as an instrument or see football as an instrument or see baseball as an instrument that gets them to a certain place so they can do justice and do right. And it calls upon, once again, these informal educational institutions to build up full-formed images of men and women in the image of God uh, that um, will be able to not just understand um, biblical things or spiritual things, but also fight for what's right and equitable in society. And I would just like to add that what's next, we could take a page from LeBron James uh, of success, meaning that what he has done, he had a group of his friends and they had to earn that position to support him and his businesses. They, he trained them, sent them to, to do internship. So I think we could do the same thing too. Do, train, internship, do these things to learn and come back. Um, I know, for instance, my brother used to intern for the NBA Play Association. And one of the things they do have is after transition, um, transitional uh, courses for athletes, NBA players, so, uh, and gain interest of things they, they want to do. And I remember my brother told me that um, he spoke to um, Greg Anthony and Greg Anthony, and this is years ago, he said he want to be a sports broadcaster. And so what the NBA do is help them and train them and get those in, um, internships. 
And I think the same thing is next year too. We have to continue to um, train these athletes as human beings and as um, ability to go a step further and continue to open doors, you know, open doors. And I think this set of athletes has opened the doors by boycott and shown the power, the ability. They open the door and that's all you need to do. Once you open that door, the floodgates will come in. You just have to show that it's a possibility. Showing that uh, uh, African-American could be a president has opened up opportunities for other people. Just open that. Door. Even um, Chaz, um, Black Panther. Uh, <laughs> Chad Bozeman. Yeah, Jasmine Bozeman. Showing that uh, a leading man, a black man, could be uh, a superhero. And, and, and it's not a black movie. It's just a superhero movie. And he opened up that door. So these athletes... Um, what they've shown is that yes they recognize all you have to do is recognize this chance for freedom and someone will take that chance to gain that freedom so i mean what you guys all discuss um i'm not going to really dispute i did enough of that <laughs> but what, what i'll say is um i'm more not I'm, I'm not looking at it so much big picture i'm looking at it more in the in the future right now the immediate future and what i would suggest is that you get lebron james on board so whatever you're doing, um, because we got to understand this guy is the face of the NBA. Um, he's what everybody talks about when you talk about what's going on. Um, anytime anybody say the NBA, they say, well, and LeBron James did such and such and such and such. So, I mean, I would just try to figure out a way. Um, it sound, might sound crazy, but I, I just feel like strategically when, when you try to you know, anybody been trying to get somebody to, to follow along with their plan, you want to find who the leader is in the room or who the bully is in the room or whoever has power in the room. And that guy's LeBron right now. And I say also recognize the moment that you're in. Um, we talk about, you know, them chipping away, which is true. But they had, they're in a, a pivotal moment of society right now on what, whatever move they make could be very, very impactful or impactful. Um, so it's, 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 it's a level to it. So you can, you can, right now you, you've, you've become impactful to the, uh, to the, the future, the athletes coming. But if you do this thing right, you can change the stage of history. And that's why I say it's important for us to, uh, find some type of, uh, unity, just in my opinion. So to wrap this up, it sounds like the protest from this week was a, a very good first step. Um, I like how um, Dr. Tai characterized it, where this may be the step that the next generation of athletes will latch on to and kind of take it into the stratosphere. So I think for our listeners, we need to kind of keep and in perspective, like there isn't going to be just one protest that will that will galvanize the change that we need. Um, but all actions are necessary. Um, I think these issues need to be in the forefront. So yes, we had the protests on Wednesdays and Thursdays. Um, I believe basketball started back yesterday. What are the athletes doing? I have not checked, but just keep these issues at the forefront. Continue to utilize that platform um, and understand that this is probably ground shaking, right? Um, and and just, just ultimately stay the course. Kelvin, I agree, LeBron is the face of the league 
And a lot of the times, even if the NBA says we're going to do something, people are usually going on Twitter and Instagram, like, let me go on LeBron's page and see what he said. So him recognizing the power he has, I think he really needs to, to use that to push the initiatives forward. The voting thing is absolutely necessary. We applauded this a few weeks ago on the podcast, but we need to step out and start talking about other things that are um, affecting our communities, like systems, including the NBA. The NBA is a system um, and, and kind of push, push the narrative um, forward. Um, this was Dr. Ty, thank you so much for taking your time to come on. Your insights, they were amazing. They were enlightening. I know our listeners um, will learn a lot from this conversation. And we hope as this develops, because as we said, this is not just a one-time thing. This will be a conversation that will be ongoing, especially as we transition um, into the playoffs. Um, I hope we can have you back on a future episode just to kind of break down some of the intricacies of, of what's happening now. Sure. Thank you for having me on. Um, and just, you know, just for your listeners, I would just like to end by just saying, you know, I think one of the things that's most powerful about Chadwick Boseman's influence for me, and, you know, I'm not a, a Marvel guy, but with the movie and his, um, just what it did for us in particular for black folks was that it allowed us to imagine um, and it allowed us to imagine Black excellence as not just the standard, but like the 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 the, the sum total of our existence. Um, and so, I want to just invite those who are listening to consider to imagine what does it look like for you to be a part of an asset-based role in this process. So, as a professor, as a researcher, that looks like you know the work in, in athletics at the collegiate level, at the professional level. But for me, I'm beginning to imagine. I just want to put this out there. I haven't said this many places, but I know we've got at least one preacher on the line. You know, I'm a part of a faith system that celebrates athletics as it relates to being a spectator. But when do we create our own LeBrons so that 20 years from now, there's a little Adventist boy or a little Adventist girl where we can create a context where they actually develop as an athlete and they can be in the league and they can have a voice. Not, not just celebrating on Sunday um, as, as spectators, as passive spectators, but how do we become active in creating systems that will allow our young people to participate and grow in an area of their development, particularly as black kids, that I believe is underdeveloped, uh, is under-celebrated, where we celebrate the stars on Sunday and watching the games at night. So I just want to encourage folks who are listening to imagine, because I believe that white supremacy uh, and colonialism inhibits our capacity to imagine beyond what we have. And so the very things that we're critiquing NBA players for not being willing to do, I believe we also need to hold ourselves accountable and do those things in the systems and structures that we have influenced. Thank you so much for that um, closing thought. Um, very, very relevant. Thank you once again. And we are looking forward to having you in the future. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of A Lady and Some Dudes. Um, please remember to follow us, like, share. We are on Facebook and Instagram. Our Facebook handle is at a lady and that is the and sign, some dudes. Our handle on Instagram is a lady and some dudes. Everything is spelled out. So that's a lady, A and D, some dudes. Until next time. <laughs>